Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series regarding our renewed vision for our church. Together, we are learning to be hungry, humble, and hospitable disciples of Jesus. Thanks for listening. I'm sure uh, most of you have probably seen those new Snickers commercials that are coming out. I think the first one was the last uh, Super Bowl, where uh, Jan Brady from the Brady Bunch is no longer herself, right? She's this really strong, angry man. But then they hand her a Snickers bar, and she goes back to normal. Those commercials are humorous ways to show us what hunger can do to us, and while a Snickers bar can maybe temporarily satisfy our hunger and, quote, get us back to normal, this morning I'm going to talk to you about a hunger that can satisfy for much longer, a hunger that won't just get us, quote, back to normal, whatever that means, but will actually get us back to who we were always intended to be. Now, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, why we're talking about hunger, last week, Pastor Jeff and I stood up here on Vision Sunday and introduced to the church a renewed vision that the leaders of Cherry Hills have sensed that we are to pursue together as a church family. Now, listen, we are still all about making disciples. That is the mission of every church, particularly here. We are making disciples who are fighting against shallow Christianity, that form of Christianity I see almost every day in my own life where I want to make Jesus just a part of my life instead of giving him the whole thing, which is what he actually asks for. But listen, the way we're going to go about becoming those kinds of disciples has changed. Instead of emphasizing the things we do for God, which is so often our temptation, we believe God has been leading us to go down this path of who we are becoming for the Lord. And so we introduced who God is helping us become with this term, H3 Disciples of Jesus. H3 stands for those three words underneath there. I'm wondering, can we just continue to practice and say those out loud together? We want to become people who are hungry, humble, and hospitable. That's who we're becoming together as a church family. We want to be people who are hungry, who are humble and who are hospitable. And as we pursue those three postures, we call them, or heart attitudes, if you like, what's amazing is we will naturally do the things God has called us to do. But we're trying to remind ourselves every week that becoming always comes before doing. Now, where did we get those three words, you may ask? Great question. First and foremost, we get them from Jesus. If you don't know the answer to a question, Jesus is always a good answer, right? As we've talked about in our series in Luke, if you've been with us throughout that, we've been going through Luke through most of this year. As disciples of Jesus, his goal for us is to become like him. This is a truth we see all throughout the New Testament. I've talked about Romans 8.29 before. Let me give you another example of this in 2 Corinthians 3. I'm going to say that word. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image. Whose image? Jesus' image. With ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our goal as disciples of Jesus is to become more like Jesus. And we sense that these three words do a pretty good job of encapsulating who Jesus is. We could have used other words, but these are the words we sense we want to become. Now beyond that, these three words are found all throughout Scripture. 
to, pursue, to, to describe the kind of people who are pursuing God and his kingdom. In fact, in the most famous sermon Jesus ever gives, some of you remember the name of that? The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus starts the whole thing with the kind of heart postures, the kind of attitudes people in his kingdom will have. They're referred to often as the Beatitudes. And if you look at the Beatitudes, I think you're going to see a pretty good summation of these three words. These are the kinds of people Jesus is looking for in his kingdom. And so as we talked about last week, for the next three weeks, before we get back into the Gospel of Luke, looking at Christ together, we are going to look at several of these Beatitudes as we unpack these words together. And this morning, if you're following on your notes, I'm simply asking the question, what does a posture of hunger, what does an attitude of hunger look like for a disciple of Jesus? Now, I know it's just one verse, I know it's printed on your outlines, but it's good for us to learn where things are in the Bible, so I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5, looking at verse 6. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, which is about three quarters of the way back in your Bible, and if you don't have your own Bible, we have some black Bibles in the seat there underneath you or in front of you, and you can find this on page 677. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this verse, and then we're going to pray together. So here is Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It says, blessed, or that can also be translated as happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are more interested in who we are becoming than what we do for you. Would you help us to become these kinds of people? I'm so aware, I was just thinking as I was singing this morning, how easily coming here on a Sunday morning can simply be a routine. Just offering up ourselves again and again without really even thinking about what we're doing. Let us not do that today. Let us offer ourselves up to you in a posture of hunger today and learn more what that would look like if this became a part of our life. We need your help to do that. So we ask you to fill this place with your word and with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you want? What do you want? That is the first and most important question of discipleship. James Smith, who is an author, put it this way, that question is buried under almost every other question Jesus asks each of us. Will you come and follow me? Is another version of what do you want? As is the fundamental question Jesus asks of his errant disciple, Peter, do you love me? What do you want? In the Gospel of John, two would-be followers of Jesus who were following John the Baptist, John points to Jesus and said, they're the Lamb of God, and they begin to follow him instead. In John chapter 1, the very first thing, Jesus turns around and he sees these two disciples, and this is the question he asks them. Can you believe it? What do you want? He doesn't ask them, what do you know about me? He doesn't ask them, what do you believe about me? Nor does he ask them, what do you plan on doing for me? 
he asks them, what do you want? Why? Because if you're on your notes, Jesus knows our wants and desires are what drive us. Now, if you're anything like me, and I know not all of you are, but I grew up in the church, and I know the right answer to this question. Jesus, call on me. I know what to say. I want you. I want your kingdom to manifest itself in my life. I want to become more like you. Friends, I could say that and be entirely authentic and genuine. In my head, that's what I want. But what makes this question so penetrating is, is that what I really want? And how do I know that's what I really want? Well, as we talked about last week, as we introduced this whole idea of hunger, if you're following on your notes, what I'm hungry for is what I give my heart to and want most. And how do we know what those things are? Well, I just need to look at my daily life. I need to look at my daily habits. In other words, what I truly want and what I truly desire and what I truly love is evidenced not by what I know or by what I say, but what my heart runs after. Let me get very specific with you here. That is determined by how I spend my time, how I spend my resources, and how I spend my attention. What do I want? That's what I want. And in this beatitude, Jesus says, unless what you want, what you are most hungry for in life, lines up with the right things, you will never be filled. You will never be satisfied. And a Snickers bar just won't cut it. So let's talk a little bit about this idea of hungering and thirsting. Friends, we don't really get the power of this one verse today, of this image Jesus is giving us, because we live in the United States of America, where if I'm hungry, I simply get up off the couch and I go to my refrigerator. If I'm thirsty, I just go to my tap and turn on the water. But to the ancient Palestinian who would have been listening to these words, I promise you that dehydration and starvation were not too far away. And so this really meant something to them. I think the best picture I've ever seen of this is in the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. Have, it, have any of you ever seen this? He's deserted on an island, right? And the first thing he's doing is trying to figure out how he's going to survive. And of course, to survive, he needs water. And he doesn't know where he's going to find water until all of a sudden a coconut falls on the beach right in front of him. And he has this aha moment. There's water inside of coconuts. And I'm telling you, it's worth just going to watch this two-minute scene if you really want to know what Jesus is talking about here because he is trying to get that coconut open to get that water, and he just can't do it. He's throwing it against the rock. He's trying to cut into it. Finally, after like 30 minutes of trying to get into this coconut, he gets it open, and a little dribble of water comes out into his mouth. And the face he makes is what Jesus is describing in this verse. In this verse. If you're following on your notes there, he's not talking about a mid-morning snack because all I had for breakfast is a piece of toast. Jesus is talking about a starving and desperate hungering. A starving and desperate hungering. David talked about this a lot in the Psalms. He had this kind of hunger for the Lord. In fact, let's read Psalm 63, 1 out loud on the screen together. It says, 
You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. That's hunger. That's thirst. This is further intensified in this verse by the fact that in Greek, which, in, which is what it is written in, it is an ongoing hunger. In other words, it's not like a one-time thing, right? It's a blessed are those who are continuously hungering and thirsty. Now, the obvious question is, what exactly is it we are to be hungry for? What should we give our heart to run after? You remember when you were in grade school, when you were in health class, that phrase we were all taught, you are what you eat. Basically, they're saying, trying to scare us to believe, if my diet consists only of donuts, I'm eventually going to become a walking pastry. And as I've grown older and my metabolism has slowed down, there's some truth to that, isn't there? Well, in the fourth beatitude, Jesus tells us this phrase, we are what we eat, has more than physical implications for us. There are spiritual implications as well. And he says, if we really want to be healthy, like health is all the craze today, if you really want to be healthy spiritually, then your diet, your desire, your love should consist of, what's the word? Righteousness. Righteousness. Happy are people who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Happy are people who want that more than anything else in their lives. Now, we've talked in the past in the Sermon on the Mount about how the Beatitudes are so upside down to what our world says. Righteousness? Are you kidding me? That's what's going to satisfy me? That's like not even in the top 10 list of what the world tells me is going to satisfy me. The world says happy are those who feed their hunger with money and power and 100 likes on Facebook and technology gadgets, on the latest fashions, on being constantly entertained, on the perfect body, on the best vacation. But we see it over and over again, don't we? I see it in my own life. That food the world offers us, it never fills me. It always leaves me wanting more. I'll give you an example here how I see this in my own life. Any of you have one of these? We have personal computers that fit in our pockets. It is amazing. This does things I couldn't even have dreamed about when I was a kid. And yet, when the newest model comes out, something happens in my heart. I need that. That has a new retina, blah, blah, blah. Da, 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 da. You have one? Oh. Now, I just want to tell you, friends, it's not about the phone. What's that all about? It's about trying to fill a hunger. And I get caught up in this insane cycle where I keep trying to fill the hungers in my life, but I hope you've learned by now. I'm a slow learner. The more I fill my life with those things, the hungrier I will be. Think of it this way. If you were hurting somewhere physically in your body and you went to your doctor, 
You wouldn't want them just to treat the pain, right? You would want them to get to the cause. You got to get down to the root cause, and yet that is what so many of us are guilty of. We walk around in this world and we treat the pain. We think if I just fill my life with pornography or sex or money or drinking or shopping or success in my career or food or TV or hobbies or exercise or power or popularity, need I go on? If, if we just go after those things, then I'm going to be satisfied. We think those are going to fill us up, but all that does is dull the pain for a little while. It doesn't get down to the root cause. Why? Because we're treating pain, not the disease. And we believe here that 2,000 years or so ago, a man came and he declared, I'm not going to just deal with your pain. I'm going to go all the way to the cause. I am going to take your sin upon myself on a cross. And not only that, I am going to offer you and invite you into an entirely new way of life. And he describes that way of life as the abundant life. Life to the full. If you're following on your notes, Jesus invites us to become people who hunger for righteousness. It's an invitation. He says, that's the only thing that's going to satisfy you. That's the only thing that will get to the root cause of our pain. I hope you notice the beautiful paradox. I've always said this. Jeff has said this. Jesus is the greatest teacher ever. Notice what he's saying here. The world says, happy are those people who pursue happiness. And so that's what we do. When I pursue happiness or blessedness, that's going to make me happy or blessed, right? I don't know what the happy thing is for you. It's different for me, but I believe the lie that I'll be happy when I'm happy. And it's a cycle because I'm never happy. Jesus says that's not how happiness works. That's not how blessedness works. He says blessedness is the result of pursuing something else called righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Well, in the Bible, righteousness has at least three uses and meanings. First, if you're following on your notes there, there is legal righteousness. I'm going to use a couple fancy words for you here. That's talking about our justification by faith. Or if you're following on your notes, our right standing before God. Legal righteousness is talking about the day when you realized that there is a disease called sin in my life. And as much as I've tried to treat it, I can't. I need somebody else to treat it for me. The day through grace, through faith, you received Christ as your Savior. He gave you his own righteousness. So now when the Father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's legal righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Jesus, we might say it, become the righteousness of God. May we never lose the wonder of that. Some people have called that the beautiful exchange, and beautiful it is. He has taken 
my filthy rags and replace them with his righteousness, legal righteousness. But that, in my opinion, is not the kind of righteousness he's talking about here in this verse. In my opinion, he's talking about the two other uses for this word righteousness. The first one there, if you're following on your notes there, is moral righteousness. Moral righteousness. Moral righteousness describes a kind of righteousness of character and conduct that pleases God. Or if you're following, we say it this way often. It's the process of becoming like Jesus. That's moral righteousness. It's the process in my life of becoming more like Jesus. The fancy term for that is sanctification. This begins the moment that legal transaction, that legal righteousness takes place in my life. God's goal then for me becomes to become more like Jesus. We pursue holiness. We pursue obedience. We hunger, not just to know about God, but to know the things of God and to do the things of God. As Jesus says in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Happy are people who pursue moral righteousness, who want more than anything else to become like Jesus. But there's another component to righteousness in Scripture, something found throughout Scripture, And that's social righteousness. Social righteousness. And I think Jesus is speaking about this as well. Social righteousness, as we learn from the law and the prophets and from Jesus, is, if you're on your notes, concern for those who are oppressed. Concern for those who are oppressed. Now let me define oppressed here for a minute. I'm talking about those who may be spiritually oppressed. And those who are physically impressed, right? Spiritually speaking, those who are trying to treat the pain but haven't yet treated the cause. Physically, to those who are experiencing injustice in this world that they were not intended to experience. Happy are people who make social righteousness something they pursue. In July, we had the privilege of having two of our missionaries back here, Jeff and Annie Dieselberg, and we've heard from so many of you what an impact they've made on your life. And we got to talking to them. If you don't know what they do, they, they help free women from sex trafficking in Bangkok, Thailand. And we got to talking to them about our new vision of H3 and, you know, hungry and humble and hospitable. And they were getting really excited about that. So excited, they wanted to sit down and just share a little bit about what this means to them and their work in Thailand. Take a look at this video and think about social righteousness as you watch this. What's your name? Where are you from? How old are you? If you could do what you wanted to do, what would your dream job be? What do you hope for when this doesn't work out anymore? The team goes into a bar that we feel prompted by the Holy Spirit 
and in that bar usually there will be several women that we've already made contact with. So when we enter the bar, we'll find a seat in our favorite spot and the manager or server will come over and offer us a drink. We'll order our drinks and then we watch and we wait until the women that we know come to sit with us. Or we will watch the body language of the women who are dancing on the stage looking for signs of being scared, of being new, of being burnt out, of hopelessness. And as prompted by the Holy Spirit, then when her turn on the stage ends, we will invite her over for a drink and then just have conversation with her. The hunger that I have in me is to show the Father's love to everyone who, everyone who has been exploited. And so there is a hunger in me for, for the righteousness, but I would say strongest in me is for everyone to know the love of the Father. In the red light area, we have this outreach center. It's a six-story building, and we have a coffee shop in the first two floors. And that coffee shop is a place to welcome. It's a presence of light in the red light area where men and women, children can come in and can feel welcome, can feel safe, and there's a presence of ministry there for them. I don't want to be in the spotlight. I don't want to be up front. I don't want to be leading everybody and taking responsibility. But he gave me love. And that love responded to the person in front of me and then to the next one. And he gave me solutions for needs, the ways to address the needs in front of me. And the more I saw, the more solutions there were. And step by step, it grew into what it is today. God doesn't ask us to start overnight with a grand mission. He asks us to stop and to love the one that is in front of us, to respond to that need, and to be open to continue to respond as He leads and prompts us. I never realized how unhungry I was until I started working there. And when I saw their lives change, and when I saw how hungry they became for more and more, that's when I learned hunger. And, and so they actually taught me hunger. It's great uh, to have the Holy Spirit speak to us through the Word, uh, through worship, all these great ways. But until we obey and do what the Holy Spirit is saying to do, I'm not sure we're ever going to really be hungry. We'll just eat because other, other people are eating. And I'm not sure that we'll be humble we'll probably just have kind of a humble face. And I don't, I don't think we'll be very hospitable because we'll just kind of do the basics of hospitality. But I think if we listen to the Holy Spirit and obey what the Holy Spirit says, and that means sometimes, like right at that moment, so I have to obey and follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's how we learn. I think that's how our heart opens up and we can, we can become more hungry and we can become more humble and more hospitable by obeying the Holy Spirit. I mean, what a great example, you know, of someone, two people pursuing social righteousness. Now the challenge here is for me to go, well, that's amazing for them, but I'm not called to Bangkok, Thailand, but I love how Annie reminded us. It's not some grand mission. It's just looking at the person God has put in front of you that day. And asking the question, how can I love them? How can I love them? 
If I could just sum up righteousness, I'd put it this way. Happy is the person who hungers for the things of God, period. You will be happy when you're hungering for the things of God. Or if you're on your notes there, Jesus' disciples have an insatiable hunger for the things of God. So, of course, the question is, how hungry are you? Are you starving for the things of God? How do you know if this is what you're really hungry for? Well, let's go back to the very beginning. I can know if this is my true desire, if this is what my actual everyday life is centered around. If it isn't, and yet this is what I say I truly want, and maybe even intellectually believe this is what I want, then let me close this morning with two suggestions of diet plans for us to center our lives around here. The first thing we need to do, if you're following, is to cut the junk food from our diet. Cut the junk food from our diet. I read a heartbreaking story about the Grand Canyon National Park. This was several years ago, where the rangers there had to kill over two dozen of the mule deer because they had become addicted to junk food food that humans had left behind. Listen to this. Once they get a taste of the sugar and salt, the deer develop an extreme addiction and will go to any lengths to eat only junk food. The result is that the animals ignore the food they need, leaving them in poor health and on the edge of starvation. Because of junk food cravings, the deer lose their natural ability to digest vegetation. There is so much in that illustration for us, isn't there? If you are experiencing slow growth in your Christian life, if you're not passionate for seeing God's kingdom come and his will be done in you and in this world, is it possible? It's because we've become addicted to the junk food of this world, that we're pursuing things that give us a rush for a little while, but they never offer lasting satisfaction. What I'm talking about here, in kind of a playful way, is just another word for repentance. Right? Getting rid of the junk food in my diet is just another word for repentance. Repentance means turning away, making a decision to turn away from the things that aren't of God and turning towards the things that are of God, agreeing with God that the food of this world will never satisfy me and hungering after righteousness. Part of developing a posture of hunger means that we need to take time to repent. Repent of the things we set our hearts on and we think will satisfy us. I'll share another personal example for the sake of being authentic here, right? I can sometimes find myself, I like going on vacation. There's nothing wrong with vacation, vacation is neutral. But sometimes I'll find myself like spending an hour researching a vacation that we're never actually going to take. Like I'm setting my heart on this vacation and I realize, well, this is never actually going to happen, but I just spent an hour of my life researching this vacation. This vacation has drawn me away from the things of God and towards something that will not actually bring me lasting satisfaction. Friends, the question isn't whether you hungry are hungry for something. It's what you're hungry for. It's what you're hungry for. And to answer that, you just need, again, to look at the things in your life, to examine them, to place them before the Lord, 
the things that take up my time, my money, and my attention. And I put those things on the altar and I allow the template of righteousness that we've talked about this morning to flow over them and ask the question, are the things I'm spending my time on, are the things I'm spending my money on, are the things I'm giving my heart to drawing me towards righteousness or taking me away from those things? The incredible promise of this beatitude is that when I start hungering for the things of God more in my life, my appetite for those things is going to grow. Have you ever told, had somebody tell you who's like a really health nut say, hey, when I started eating healthy, I started craving healthy food. I didn't even want the junk food anymore. I always say, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but I'm going to take them at their word that that's true. And Jesus says that's true for us as well. The more I hunger for the things of God, the more I will want the things of God in my life. The second suggestion as you cut junk food from your diet is to add the healthy food of God's righteousness. Add the healthy food of God's righteousness. Discipleship, we might say, is simply a way for me to constantly recalibrate my heart, my desires, my wants, my attitudes on God's wants and heart and desires and attitudes. I don't know about you, this is an everyday thing. My heart loses focus almost every single day, so it's a constant recalibration towards the things of God. Let me offer three ways we can do this starting today. First, it starts with pursuing personal righteousness in your own life. The satisfaction of a better life, a life made right with God, I'm going to tell you right now, will not happen unless you are hungry to see it happen in your own life. Your mom can't hunger for that for you. Your dad can't hunger for that for you. Your grandparents can't hunger for that for you. It has to start in your old life. So this means, if you're falling on your notes, becoming self-feeders. We need to become self-feeders. We need to organize our life around the same disciplines that Jesus organized his life around. This means, yep, time in God's word, time in prayer, Time in solitude and silence and some of these other amazing gifts God has given us to draw closer to the Father. Even some time in fasting. How ironic is that? You got to say at some point, first things first. Isn't it amazing how we always have time to do the things we love to do? The Bible tells us that we can train ourselves in personal righteousness. At first, just like when you're training yourself to run a marathon or something, it's excruciating. But the more you train yourself, the more you start to love it. And so personal righteousness, becoming self-feeder. Second, commit to gathering corporately. That's part of the good food we need. The Bible is very clear about this. We are to gather corporately. That means together on Sunday mornings like we're doing right now, but it also means in a smaller group of community of people who are like-minded, who can push you towards righteousness, encourage you, strengthen you, challenge you, pray for you. Digging deeper into God's word together as a group, as a community together, we are meant to rely on one another. We are described as the body of Christ. Just as a body has many parts, we are meant to come together in community. I love how Paul describes this in 
uh, Colossians 3. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. How do we do that? How do we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, Paul? He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. As you teach and admonish one another, that's what we're doing right now. With all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Oh, I love it when we get to sing together. You know what that does for us? Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Our time together feeds us. Third, as we have seen, it requires engaging and bringing social righteousness into this world. That has got to be a part of our meal plan. It isn't enough just for me and Jesus. It isn't enough for just us and Jesus. It's got to be going out of these doors and seeing the hurt in this world and bringing Jesus peace, his shalom to a world that has no peace. This was Jesus' mission in the beginning. We saw it in Luke. He came to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and set the oppressed free. That's what we do as disciples. That's what we hunger for. It is not enough for me to hunger for personal righteousness. We are called to be hungry for those outside of our walls, to hunger for things like justice to be done. For mercy and love and compassion to be given to those who do not experience those things. So part of our new diet plan means, if you're following, we bring Jesus' kingdom of shalom, of peace, to this starving world. I love what Annie said. That starts by you tomorrow or today looking at the person God has placed in front of you differently. Maybe it's the waiter or the waitress at the restaurant you're going to after church today. What would it look like if I was hungry for that person to know the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Friends, do you believe you can only be truly satisfied when you look beyond yourself and seek the righteousness of God for yourself and for others? I don't know what a message like this does to you. As I wrote this message this week, I was thinking back in times in my life where we describe it this way, I was on fire for Jesus. Like I couldn't get enough of his word. I couldn't stop sharing my faith with people. I couldn't wait to gather together as the church community. But if you're anything like me, sometimes those times sort of die away and I become what I describe as spiritually satisfied with my life. But the words of this beatitude pierced me to the heart. Because if you're falling on your notes, we must never be spiritually satisfied. We must pray that every day, every year, every decade of my life, I am hungering more and more for the things of God in my life and in the life of others. Is that the greatest desire of your heart? Is it the longing of your heart? Is that what you desire and want above all else? I'll close with this question if you're following there. Am I hungry for the things of God above all else? Now just bear with me. Don't put your notes away yet. I want you to hear me. We don't have to live lives where we are constantly frustrated constantly restless and dissatisfied. 
The promise of Jesus is that we can be satisfied. We can be full. And that comes when we hunger after the things of God. And so here's what we're going to do together as we close this service. We're going to take a moment, as we often do, just a moment of silence. Hey, that's a discipline, isn't it? It's a way for me to open up my heart to the Lord. It's a way, as Paul described it, to test myself. And maybe that for you this morning is, what is the junk food in my diet, Lord? Maybe you're not even aware of that. I believe the Holy Spirit of God is present and active and will speak to us and point those things out. And he might be asking us to change our diet plan. Maybe you know you've been seeking personal righteousness and corporate righteousness together with others, but that social thing, maybe that's a little harder for you. What is he saying to you about that? Or maybe you find yourself spiritually satisfied. Just say that to him. And ask him to come in, as we sang this morning, come in. And to fill my life once again with the good things. The things of the Lord. So let's just spend a moment in silence together. As the deer pants for streams of water, so our soul pants for you, O God. Our soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Would those words be true in each of our lives, Lord? Recalibrate our hunger to focus on the things that matter most. Amen.